turn to God and God's word and uh, really hear from him and know his will for our lives. Lord God, I thank you for this congregation of your people. I thank you that uh, you have drawn us together in this time and in this place to be yours, uh, the body of Christ in this community, um, people who know you, who love you, who are united in our faith of Jesus, people who are called, uh, have purpose, who do ministry together in order to build your kingdom, people who worship you, God, and whether that happens in this building this morning or whether it happens in people's homes, we pray that... Uh, now you'll come by your spirit and do your work in us. You want to form us into a people that uh, is worshipful, is full of love, a people through whom the world can see Christ and know his truth. So we look to you now, Lord, to form us, to lead us, um, to bless us today by knowledge of what it is you would have us know. So we look to you now, Lord, as we turn to your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you about why, one of the things that I loved to do in high school, and that was uh, the whole music thing. I was in the band. I was not the guy in the football team. I was not the guy in the hockey team. I was the guy in the band. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, we began in grade nine, you know, and uh, I was assigned the baritone. Anybody know what a baritone is? Some of you do. It's like the little, little thing that looks like a tuba, but it's way more fun to play. You know, a tuba is bum, 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 boring, right? Uh, the baritone had a lot more variety and carried the melody in a different time. It sounded more like a trombone, actually, than, than, than a tuba. But I, but I got into this in grade nine, and of course, when we began, uh, we sounded awful. I mean, nobody, nobody knew how to play an instrument. And you can just imagine the sound, right? Can you hear it? That cringing sound of a grade nine band. <laughs> uh, I mean, we couldn't hit the notes. Our tone was terrible. We couldn't play in sync. You know, the poor conductor, the teacher was trying to make it happen, but everybody's doing their own thing. But by grade 13, and I know that dates me, but by grade 13, we were good, right? We were good. And we had learned us so much, you know, and, and we had the brass. I was part of the brass section, the wind, wind wood instruments, the percussion, and so on. And we had that conductor who kept the whole thing together to produce this beautiful sound. That was the deal. That was the idea. And I'm mentioning this to you because I think it's going to illustrate for us a little bit of what it means to be living in eternal life, which we've come to recognize is now in session. If you're new here for the first time in the last few weeks, we're talking about this, we're studying this in life groups at home. Eternal life is now in session is the title of that material. And the idea is, basically, you don't wait till you go to heaven to experience eternal life. Um, it's here. It's now. Christ has come. The kingdom have come, has come. We're living in this thing called eternal life, and we will do so forever if we have faith in Jesus. And there are four elements that we uh, are looking at. Last week was awakening, where we awaken to God. You know, it's like we wake up from sleep and, oh, wow, the Lord loves me, and I need to be forgiven and enter into the kingdom and so forth. Then there's purgation. said last week it's an odd word, but it's basically where we purge sin from our lives. And then there's illumination next week where we see what we didn't see before, and then there's union with God. And each of these things, this is important to know, we, in, we experience them up front. When we come into the faith, when we come to believe in Jesus, we experience all of these. But that's not the end of it. We carry on in each of these elements, and we 
encounter eternal life through them. That's the basic idea. And we're intended to experience things in an ongoing fashion. So today we're going to look at purgation. Who loves the word? Anybody? I know Francis did, and oh, Angela also, a few of you. But uh, maybe it'll stick with you because it's so odd and different. Anyway, we're going to look at the uh, story from the life of Peter and, um, and, and discuss his experience uh, of eternal life with Jesus in the process of purgation. Uh, it's essentially uh, this, this dynamic that I've said that is purging our lives from sin, but I want you to hear this up front. While it might not sound like much fun, it's an incredibly good thing. We have got to take hold of this idea. It's not a bad thing to experience this. It is a wonderful and remarkable thing that has beautiful benefits. All right, so we're going to read from um, Luke chapter 5. Interesting story. I think there are unpredictable elements as part of this story. But let me read to you Luke 5, 1 to 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets." When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Can you see the scene? Can you picture it? The idea of of Jesus teaching on the shore. Uh, He is really popular at this point. Crowds have come to listen to this man speak like no one else uh, has heard anyone speak. He speaks with authority. Uh, They said they loved Jesus' preaching, and there were many, many people, but they began to uh, force in upon him, if you would. There were so many folks, so he jumped in a boat, and and he preached from the boat, uh, pushing out a a little ways from shore so that people could hear him. He carried on doing what he was called to do. At the end of that time, um, he finished, and I imagine the crowd began to disperse, but Jesus wasn't finished. Because he wanted to lead Peter and others into an experience of eternal living. An experience of God, an experience of himself. So he said, you know, Peter, Simon was his name at this point, push out a little bit and throw your nets into the water. Now, Peter's kind of gracious. He's saying, he's the fisherman, remember. He's the professional. He knows what he's doing. He said, we've been up all night. We've tried our hardest. There are no fish. Um, but then he says something really, really good. He says this, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I want us to take note of that. He doesn't necessarily think this is a good idea. It doesn't make much sense to him. He doesn't really agree with the idea. I mean, here's this rabbi telling him how to fish, you know? He's the fisherman. (laughs) He knows how this works. 
But he says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And he did. And I want to tell you, my friends, it's, it's right off the, off the top. This is, this is something for us to take with great seriousness. Because sometimes in our life with Jesus, in our experience of eternal life, what Jesus will say to us through Scripture won't make a ton of sense. And there are times we aren't even going to agree with what Jesus says or what he wants us to do. But in the end of the day, we need to emulate this man named Peter. We need to trust the master. We need to believe in the reality that Jesus knows, Jesus knows better than us. And even though we might not make sense to us, and even though we might not agree, we have got to learn to do it anyway. If for no other reason, as the story illustrates, it leads to incredible blessing. Do you know that? Have you lived that dynamic? Do you, do you believe it with all of your heart? Obey Jesus, listen to his word, live your life formed around his word, and you'll end up in blessing. Your life will be part of the eternal life experience. Well, the nets filled with fish, as we've read, it's a huge catch. Peter's response, and the response is really where we're going to focus today. Um, when, 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 when this happens, is to fall at Jesus' feet. Let me read verse 8 again. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What do you think of that response? I mean, where does that take you in your mind? What goes on in this moment of eternal life is an experience of living in the kingdom is that he recognizes how sinful he is at his core. He doesn't say, I, I commit sins. He said, in my being, I'm a sinful person. Now, in one way, this is really odd. Think of the possible responses Peter could have given to Jesus. Could have started with a thank you. <laughs> this is huge haul of fish. This is his income, right? This is what he longs for. Thank you. Could have been excitement. Oh, man, look at this, guys. And they're talking amongst themselves. It might have been that as well with others. Could have been celebration. Can you see Peter and James and, 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 and John dancing and having fun? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> All kinds of potential responses. But what happens was that Peter became very much aware of himself. <laughs> he comes to that place where he recognizes his sinful condition. And that he didn't want Jesus to be in his presence. And he didn't want to be in Jesus' presence. I want to tell you, this is <clears throat> part of the eternal life experience. Um, it's something that ideally we will find. It's something, can I say it more strongly, we need to find. We need to embrace. We need to experience Christ in this way. There's an implication here that I want to speak to before we go on. The implication is prior to Peter being in the presence of Jesus, who acts as the Son of God and exercises the power of God, he wasn't so aware of his sin. You know, before this haul of fish, he was just talking to Jesus, and he was probably listening to him as he was mending his nets prior. And he was sailing out into the deeper part of the lake and throwing his nets into the water. He wasn't overly aware of his sinfulness. And the implication is, that before we encounter Christ, neither will we. And sometimes we, we live with, with sin as part of our experience, as the Bible says we all do. It's a power that it's at work within us. But we have no knowledge of it. Isn't that going on in your life today? Going on in mine? You see, I think, I think sometimes we experience 
you know, the fact that we are sinful people, but we don't know it because sin is so normal, both to our human nature and to our culture. You know, I've hammered the idea of materialism and greed in our culture, right? If you've been here long, you've heard me talk about it. And we, we, we live in this way because, you know, we want more and more and more and we long for it and, 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 and we desire to have what we don't have and we make material things of way too great import in our lives. We actually sometimes begin to worship things. We live for them. But that's normal in this culture. Doesn't everybody do that? How about the idea, you know, somebody hurts me and, 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 or, and wrongs me and I get kind of resentful and bitter toward them and I don't forgive them? It's kind of normal. But it's not what Jesus calls us to. How about the idea, you know, not living by the truth, not speaking the truth. We tell little white lies <laughs> and we minimize not living by the truth. It's no big deal. Doesn't everybody do that? How about this one, lust? Well, that's just being a man, isn't it? See what I'm saying? What we do with sin so often? Pride. <laughs> that's probably the thing we're most blind to. Living our lives around ourselves and our own purposes and our own desires. I want to tell you something. If you're in a relationship and you live according to pride, if you're a husband and a wife and you're both proud people and you live for the self, it's not going to work very well. It just won't. But that's so often how we live life rather than what Jesus calls us to. My friends, what needs to happen in our lives, and again, I don't want you to think of this as a bad thing, but we need to come to terms with our sinful nature. Peter's words, Lord, I am a sinful man. See, it's all about, I would suggest to you, who we compare ourselves to. You know, if, if, if you were to look at someone like a Paul Bernardo, you know, horrific murderer, most of us know who he is, we would say, well, compared to Paul Bernardo, I'm doing pretty well. I live a pretty good life. He's a sinner. See how easy it is to do that? He's a, we begin to judge because it's obvious. It's awful things that he did. I don't do that. And then we might compare ourselves to the, to the people that we rub shoulders with at work. And there may not be, they may not be, be believers, and they might not try to follow in the way of the Lord. And you might say, well, at least I try to follow in the law of God. It's a, it's a, it's a plan. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the, the, the voice of the heart of God out of love for me. And I don't succeed all the time, but I, I do a decent job of it. Not them. And we look pretty good. And then you could think of someone like Mother Teresa. Well, things start to change at that point. I mean, there's a woman who lives selflessly with great humility. Her whole life is about helping the poor and the broken, the disadvantaged. And all of a sudden, you go, man, I don't live my life like that. She's sort of here and we're down here a little bit. But then comes the reality at times where we compare ourselves to God. And all of a sudden, go, whoa. <laughs> when you really get to that point, when you really have that experience, the response that we will have is what Peter had. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. Lord, go away from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. This is too hard. 
I want to tell you that's exactly what happened to Peter. Exactly. You could say that, uh, to use last week's focus, he had an awakening to God. It's like, whoa, (laughs) did you see what this man just did? You see the power that he just exercised? There's something, something beyond me going on here. He recognized something of Jesus, and it was that to which he compared himself, and he didn't measure up anymore. He had awakening to God, which produced an awakening to self. He knew who he was all of a sudden. And I want to tell you, that experience of Christ leads to a humble confession in terms of what he observed, and ultimately to purgation, the turning away from sin, the repenting of it, the moving beyond it. Now, you might be hearing me talk and say, well, you keep saying, Chris, this is a good thing. Where's the goodness in this? (laughs) Where's the beauty of the music of the concert band, right? (laughs) This doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. It doesn't sound appealing, this experience of eternal living. But I want to tell you this, my friends. It is this element of life that leads to forgiveness. And in the first instance, it leads to us becoming believers, No matter who we are, no matter what age this happens at, it leads us into that place where we get on our knees before Jesus, we recognize who we are, we ask God for the first time to forgive us our sin, and if you would, sinfulness. And we become a child of God. We enter into the kingdom through this exact experience. But I want to suggest that that's not where this experience is to end. We have to continue to experience purgation in order to be freed from the power of sin that is at work within you and me. Do you know it? Knowing it is a big part of this dynamic. We need to purge sin from our lives in order to live the life God created us to know. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to move beyond it. It's the sin that is at work within us that causes the heartache and the, and the brokenness in relationships and the selfishness and the pride and all of these things, and it keeps us from eternal life. Right? The experience of what Jesus called elsewhere abundant living. He's saying this is the best life you can live, people. Take hold of it. Enter into it. Discover it. So it's not just an initial experience of recognizing Christ and humbling ourselves before him and confessing sin. This is to be ongoing throughout life. This is to be our experience of eternal life. This is what it's all about. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we step by step move in that direction, we find incredible goodness in life. Goodness. Well, in response, Jesus, I want to suggest to you, says something incredibly significant. Because what he does is show Peter love and grace, right? He tells him not to be afraid. He cares for the man. He has compassion for him. And, and, And we learn in that instance, you don't have to be afraid of God when you confess to him, right? You don't have to be afraid of God. Jesus knows your sinful nature. He knows mine. He knows what we did yesterday. He knows what we're going to do tomorrow. He knows we're not perfect people. Matter of fact, that's why he came and that's why he died on a cross, that all that stuff that we need to be forgiven and purged from our life might be forgiven and purged from our life. don't, Don't fear God when you come to him having done something, said something, thought something. 
that is wrong, but he does more than act in love. He, act, he treats Peter with incredible grace. You know, Peter's actually right. He is a sinful man, and he doesn't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. But that's not how Jesus responds. He doesn't respond with judgment. He doesn't respond with condemnation. He shows him grace. I'm going to tell you right now, my friends, anything that you do that is wrong, that you bring into the presence of the Lord, humbly seeking forgiveness, repentantly ready to move beyond, you will experience love and you will experience grace every single time because that's who God is. I want to read to you Romans 5, 20 and 21. It says this. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase. I don't know if you're aware of that, but the law, one of the reasons that the law was given, biblically, is that we might know what sin is. You don't have the perfect law of God. You have nothing com- to compare your life to. But it, it, it informs us. It's the same sort of dynamic that I'm describing here from Peter's experience of Jesus. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you hearing this? It's a remarkable dynamic that we need to embrace by faith. We need to believe this to our core. If I sin a little bit, there's, there's enough grace to cover that. If I sin massively, there's a massive amount of grace that will deal with that too. There is no amount of sin that the grace of God can't address in love and in forgiveness. So are you seeing this dynamic of eternal living? We experience Christ as Peter did. We become aware of our sin. We experience his love and his grace. And what that leads us to is us becoming free. Free of the power of sin. Free from addictions. Free from the habits of thought and of mind and of heart that just diminish our lives and bring brokenness. Keeping us from what God wants us to know. 2001, um, Heather, my wife, and I built a house. And uh, we didn't finish the basement. We just left the basement kind of rough. You know, uh, there was a, a room or two that had been framed, but nothing more. Well, we moved in, and we did what most people probably do. You make the first and the second floor look good, right? Tidy everything up and get rid of the, the boxes and everything. But what we did also as we moved in is we started to put the things that weren't going to go on the first and second floor into this space. Can I call it a room in the basement? Picture, the, you know, you know, the space that is framed in with two-by-fours, but nothing more. Well, we put a lot of junk in that space. You know, stuff that we didn't really care about and stuff that we had kind of accumulated over probably the last 10 or so years of marriage, 12 actually. And as time went by, if we had stuff we didn't want, we just stuck it in that room. And a pile began to grow. It was like it was multiplying. You know, Jesus and the, you know, the fish and the bread or something. Like, just get bigger and bigger. Anybody have such a room, you know? Or have had such a room at some point? 2000, 2007, 2008, we decided we were going to renovate the basement. But we could not renovate the basement with this huge pile of stuff in that room. Now, Heather and I were, were sort of, you know, if you lean toward hoarder or you know, not hoarder, about holding on to things and getting rid of things. You know how people kind of lean one way or the other? We lean toward holding on to things, thus the big pile. I don't think we were hoarders, but in that room we might have been. You know what I'm saying? 
And we made a commitment to each other. We are going to get rid as, of much of this stuff as we can. We're going to take some to the cell again so other people can benefit by it. We're not going to hold on. We're going to throw out what isn't worth being capped. And we just dug in, and it was a huge amount of work. But in the end, it was done. The room was empty. Do you know what our experience was? Do you know what we felt? Can anybody guess? It was literally experience of freedom. It's gone. It's, this is great. You know, we had purged ourselves from the junk in our lives that we didn't need anymore. And the feeling was good. And I want to tell you, the Lord calls us in eternal life after we enter in through purgation and faith in Jesus. He calls us to live this dynamic out over and over and over again that we might be set free from the power of sin that only harms us and harms the people we love. You know the old hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My, my friends, are you experiencing purgation? Are you breaking free? Are you moving beyond through an experience of Christ? You know, a lot of times we don't want to face sin. We don't want to think about it, right? Uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a sinner, a lot of people might say. <laughs> Man, if you are you know, aware of anything in Scripture, it is that we are sinners. Peter's telling us that dynamic here. We see it. You know, we read the law and we know we, never, we don't measure up. We need to come to this place where we're focused on this dynamic, not avoiding it, embracing it willingly because we know the love and the grace of Jesus, finding the power of Christ by his spirit, setting us free, helping us move beyond. Well, briefly, again, in response to Peter's confession, it's, it's remarkable what Jesus does. He gives them a new purpose. Um, verses 10 and 11, I'll just read the little phrase. He says, you know, from now on, you will fish for people. You'll fish for people. <laughs> now, that's kind of intuitive. Because, you know, you would think that Peter would get into Jesus' presence and he would recognize his sinfulness and Jesus will say, well, I can't use you. Look how sinful you are. <laughs> you might think that. If I really was honest with God about the stuff that's going on in my mind, in my heart, my actions... What good would I be to God? He's not going to use me. My friends, it's actually the opposite that takes place. As we grow in this experience of recognizing and confessing and moving beyond sin, we become more useful for God in the building up of his kingdom. We get ourselves into that place of honesty with him and we are breaking free from the power of sin and we become more valuable to God in God's kingdom as a result. You see how denying this stuff binds us? That's what makes us useless to God. If, the, if sin's dominating our lives and we're not breaking free from it, that's going to hold us back in terms of being useful for the kingdom. So, do we feel we're unworthy? Do we feel we have no worth to God because we sin? Don't believe it. Deal with it. And you will have a purpose. This is also part of eternal living, eternal life. You get a new purpose in life. You recognize the huge shift that Jesus speaks into Peter's life, right? You know, um, from now on you will fish for, pe for people. Let's go to verse 11. So they pulled uh, uh, their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's part of eternal living. 
Your purpose isn't your job, and your purpose isn't primarily even your family. Your purpose is discovering what Christ has for you to do in your jobs and in your family experience or otherwise as we exercise our gifts and we live for the kingdom of God. You see the incredible goodness that flows out of purgation, dealing with the reality of sin in our lives? We live, for, we live completely for Jesus. So my friends, I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing with purgation? I hope you never forget the word come to think of it. Like, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with the reality of purging sin from your life? Because you see, what happens as we purge sin from our lives through the influence of Christ, by the power of his spirit, you know, we move forward. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. It's, it's one of his ministries in our lives. It's something that a God of love does in us, if you would. What happens is, as this experience happens step by step by step, time after time after time, as we are open to it, as we embrace it, we, we live in a process of growing. Listen to me. We live in the process of growing toward holiness. <laughs> holiness. It's like the light of Christ. Jesus, the light of the world. The light of Christ reveals to us what is hidden within us, even to our own minds. But through this process, we experience the grace and the love of God. We break free. We move beyond. We become purposeful for the kingdom of God. We move into greater intimacy with God as a result. So how are you doing with purgation? I, I just want to ask the question, is this part of your experience? Now, some people here may never have experienced Jesus profoundly to begin with, and you need to. Uh, this reminds me of sermon number one. Be, 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 get, eternal life is not just a matter of knowing the right stuff. You need, we need to know something of God and of his grace and so forth to move into it. But it's not just that. And it's not just a matter of saying a prayer. Oh, you know, if you want to go to heaven and not go to hell, you've got to say a prayer of confession, you know, the sinner's prayer in the presence of Jesus. Can you, there are, I can imagine there are many people who've just said a prayer because that's what they've been told they need to do, and they think, oh, everything's great. They haven't stood in the presence of the living Christ and recognized their own sinful nature and confessed it before him. In the end of the day, I'm saying, if you've never done that, my friends, it is time. Whether you were new to church this morning or whether you've been in church all your life, we need to get into the presence of Jesus and have, have our eyes open to his holiness so that we can recognize our fallenness, which will go, is going to lead us in a profound way toward confession of our sin and forgiveness. But beyond that, those of you who are believers and you know it and you've, you're living this life and you're, you're striving to, to honor God and, and so forth, you're in and you know it. Are you embracing purgation? I'm here to tell you it's okay. I'm here to tell you it's a really good thing to do. Because as you are sensitive to the Spirit of God, enlightening your mind and your heart to who you really are, rather than turning away from it, turn toward it and get into the presence of Jesus. By the way, it's, it's really by getting into the presence of Jesus that this happens in the first place. Could it be this morning in worship, whether you're at home or whether you're here? 
that you're all of a sudden encountering the truth and you're recognizing who you are, maybe for the first time, and you're saying, Jesus, I need, I need forgiveness. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Go away from me. I'm telling you, my friends, it's not about just saying a simple little prayer. It's not about knowing the right stuff so you can profess faith, although those things have their place. This is about knowing the reality of Jesus, encountering him, and being led to moving beyond sin through confession. And I ask you, with all the sincerity that your pastor can muster in his heart, is this your experience of eternal living? Have you experienced it? Are you experiencing it in an ongoing way? You know what we find ourselves in as we move through this series, whether you're discussing it at home in life groups, and I sure hope you are, or whether you are hearing these things on a Sunday morning, we, we are being called to deeper life in Jesus. We're, we're being called to more, not to live on the surface of faith. So many people, they just, they just skim the surface, you know. I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to live the rest of my life the way I want to live the rest of my life. And they never discover the deeper reality that they can have with God, and they never discover the life that they can know with God in all of its blessing. You know, I hope you're not a materialist. I'm supposed to be done by now, but I, <laughs> I hope you're not. And I hope you don't actually think that you, you'll really find life by getting more stuff. And I hope you're not living to accumulate. You might think that leads to life, but you're blind. Because knowing Jesus and getting beyond the power of sin and getting to a point of contentment is what brings life. Not always striving for more than what you've got. And I, I could reference all those sins that I spoke to a, a minute ago. You know, whether it's, it's lying or whether it's living with bitterness. People think, well, I'm not going to forgive that person. No, I'm, sticking, I'm staying right here. <laughs> this, is how, this is the best way to be. We're blind because freedom comes in forgiving people. We are set free. Our hearts are made right. It doesn't matter about them. I mean, it does in terms of reconciliation, hopefully. But if we want to really know life, we're going to forgive. And on and on it goes. Eternal life is offered to us if we will embrace it. And not just walk through the door into eternal life and stop at that point as we've talked about. No, we do it again and again and again with all of these four elements. elements and we will discover the life that God created us to know. He did not create us to live according to a sinful nature suffering because of its effects, stuck in that place. No, he created us to be free in him. So my friends, get into the presence of Jesus as Peter did. Sunday by Sunday, get into his presence. Hear him speak, hear his words. In your homes every day, get into his presence. Sit in the presence of Christ until he opens your eyes to see what you need to see by his spirit. And you, you, by the very nature of the reality of Jesus, will move forward, and sin will be purged from your life. You will be free, and you will know the life God created you to know. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that every single person in this room today, and every single person listening at home, is a person that you deeply love. Um, you care about them so much 
You care about us so much, way beyond what we can comprehend, even to the point of sending your son Christ to die on a cross that we might be forgiven of our sin and be set free of it. And in your heart of hearts, you want us to experience the fullness, if you would, of eternal living. This, this, this dynamic life that we might live in relationship with you. And Father, my prayer right now is that you will work in the minds and in the hearts of the people who are listening, that you will reveal Jesus to them. Today, this week, this month to come, open their eyes to see the reality, the dynamic, the power, the beauty, the capacity of Jesus. And in that experience, allow them to see who they are, that they might confess, that they might repent, that they, by the work of your spirit, might be set free from the sin that binds them. Lord, you have a vision for our lives, and it's, it's a vision of lives set free, living in joy and in godliness and in holiness, because in that place we find life and life eternal. So God, work in us, we pray. We open our lives to you, Holy Spirit of God, to do the ministry that we need, that as, as participants in eternal life, we might move forward with you, in faith, in openness, in obedience to you. Lord, let us be Peter. Open our eyes to see what we cannot see of Jesus and of ourselves. Bless us, our God, step by step by step, as you purge sin from our lives. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.